Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Assistant Pastor Darrell Logan. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. Father, we thank you once again for who you are and what you are to us. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. And Lord, we thank you for your written word that has not changed, will not change, will not pass away. We thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. We pray, Father, to have open and receptive hearts to whatever you want to speak into our lives that will also be receptive to the work you desire to do in us and through us. And Father, I pray for the gift of teaching, for that ability to rightly divide your word of truth, Lord. And if there's a timely word that you have for us, Lord, help us to be ready, Lord. Help us to apply it by the help of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So we are still in Mark uh, chapter 12. We're going to look at verses 41 through 44. Mark 12, 41 through 44. The title of the lesson is, God is Watching. God is watching. Now, have you ever gotten that feeling that somebody is watching you? You know, maybe you're taking a shower, you close your eyes to wash your hair, and, and you hurry up and look around. You just get that feeling. Or, or maybe you're outside doing something and you accidentally fall. And you hurry up and get up in your embarrassment. And one of the first things you do is look around. To see who was watching. But a lot of times it's a weird feeling or awkward feeling that you get when you realize that somebody was watching you. But also, we could be also happy when somebody's watching us in a good way. If we're doing something and maybe a child is watching how we do it, they're trying to learn. You know, that's something that's Not as awkward, but it makes us feel good that this child is taking the time to watch us put something together or watch us do something so they can learn. And so when we notice someone is watching us, it doesn't always make us feel awkward or fearful, although sometimes it does. But I will say this, if you claim to be a Christian, for sure someone is watching you. Some person, some group is watching you. They're watching how you behave. They're watching how you react when certain bad things happen. In times of trials, they're watching us. They're trying to see what's so different about us in times of trials. They're watching our walk, the things we do, the things we Refrain from. If you're in a leadership position, beware of the fact that, yes, somebody is watching you. As believers, we already have a bullseye on our back. People want to see us fall. Some people do. And some people are looking at us as an example. And we should be able to say what the Apostle Paul said. He said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Yeah. 
which means that we need to first have a relationship with him. We need to walk closely with him in order to imitate him so that we'll let our light shine and other people will see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. But I do want to drive that point home that there is a group of people watching us. There is a person who's watching us. So we want to be careful about what we say, what we do. But in tonight's message, some of you may find comfort and some of you may find fear when you're reminded of the fact that God is watching you, as it says in our title. And tonight we're going to get an example of that truth, the truth of God watching us. And we're going to see what life-changing application we can get from this study. And so if you haven't turned there already in your Bibles, turn to Mark 12. And again, we'll start at verse 41. And there it says, now Jesus sat opposite the treasury the treasury and the temple. And he saw how the people put money into the treasury and many who were rich put in much. I just want to let you know that as far as time is concerned, this is still Tuesday of Passion Week, the week that Jesus would suffer and die on the cross. And we see here on this Tuesday of Passion Week, Jesus sat across from the temple treasury and he watched people as they gave. Now, during this time, there were 13 trumpet-shaped chests and they were placed around the wall in the court of the women in the temple. One Bible scholar says that the collection plates in Jesus' day were big boxes fitted on top with large horns that resembled the speaker of an antique gramophone. Now, in these chests were put contributions that were made voluntarily or paid yearly by the Jews. For what? For the service of the temple and for the support of the poor. So, yes, Jesus at this time in the court of the women. It doesn't mean that uh, this court was only for women, but it just meant that that was as far as the women could go in that temple. And so in verse 42, it says, then one poor widow came and she threw in two mites, which make a quadrants. And so these two mites that this poor widow had and that she threw in were two lepta. Lepta, of course, is a Greek word. And these, in other words, were very small copper coins. And these two mice, these leptas, amounted to a quadrants. And a quadrants, by the way, was a Roman copper coin worth about one sixty-fourth of a denarius. And a denarius was a day's wages for a laborer. And so with these two mites that this poor widow 
cast into the treasury was a very small amount. But yet and still we see in verse 43 of Mark 12, we see that Jesus called his disciples to himself and said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all those who have given to the treasury. For they all put in out of their abundance. They put in or gave out of their surplus. But this poor widow, she gave out of her poverty and put in all that she had, her whole livelihood. So everything that she had to live on, she gave it. She threw it into the treasury that was in the court of the women in the temple. Now, what we see here in verses 43 and 44 is a lesson about giving. One thing that we learn about giving is that for that gift to be acceptable in the sight of God, it has nothing to do with the amount. It has nothing to do with the amount of money that's given to be accepted by God. But something else that we see about giving is that whatever we give to the Lord must be given willingly. Must be given willingly. In 2 Corinthians 8, verse 12, it says, For if there first is a willing mind, it is accepted according to what one has and not according to what he does not have. And so that one verse there in 2 Corinthians 8, 12 covers both of those points that I shared with you thus far about giving. And number one, again, it has nothing to do with the amount. And number two, it must be giving willingly. If there is first a willing mind, it is accepted according to what one has and not according to what he, in this case she, speaking of the widow, does not have. But then there's something else about giving that we learn from these scriptures in particular. And it is that our giving should be a sacrifice. Should be a sacrifice. And you may remember the story in First Chronicles 21 about King David. Because in 1 Chronicles 21, we read that Satan incited or encouraged King David to number the people. And as we keep reading in 1 Chronicles 21, we saw that God was not pleased with what David did. And therefore, he struck Israel. And so God, the story goes on, sends a plague among uh, the Israelites, and, and it would cause the death of 70,000 men in Israel at that time. But then he also sends this angel in Jerusalem to destroy it, all because of what King David did in numbering the people. And so it just tells you that, first of all, when it comes to his motive, there was something that was not right with this motive. And you know it wasn't because the scriptures tell us that he was encouraged by Satan. He wasn't forced to do it, of course, by Satan. 
but he was encouraged to do it. Just like some people today encourage us or incite us to do something against the will of God and we give in to it. We listen to them. We take their ungodly advice. David did the same thing. 70,000 men of Israel ended up killed and this angel is going around destroying, about to destroy Jerusalem. And as he was doing his work, the Lord told the angel that, hey, that's enough told him to stop. And so the angel stopped where he was. And at that point, he was standing by, or he was by the threshing floor of Ornan. And Ornan was a Jebusite. The scriptures tell us that King David looked up and he saw the angel between heaven and earth. And he had his sword drawn. But then David was told to set up an altar To the Lord on Ornan's threshing floor. Now a threshing floor, by the way, is a flat, smooth, hard surface where grain was separated from the straw and husk by either having um, oxen or cattle trampled on it over and over or by beating the grain out of the, uh, the straw and the husk. And so that's where this angel was at this time, and that was the threshing floor that David was to build this altar on to the Lord. And so afterwards, after receiving the instruction, the scriptures tell us once again in First Chronicles 21 that David went to Ornan the Jebusite and he requested to buy his threshing floor for him so he can build this altar as instructed so that this plague would stop will stop spreading. But Ornan offered to give King David this threshing floor. He offered to give him oxen and whatever he needed for free. And King David, whatever you want, just just take it, Ornan would tell him. But I like what David said because he said something that obviously this poor widow knew. Because in 1 Chronicles 21, 24, it says, then King David said to Ornan, no. In other words, I'm not taking this stuff for free. I'm not taking this threshing floor. I'm not taking the oxen and all of these instruments for the offering, the sacrifices for free. He says, but I will surely buy it for full price for I will not take what is yours for the Lord, nor offer burnt offerings with that which costs me nothing. So he's saying, if I'm going to do something for the Lord, if I'm going to give to the Lord, it's going to cost me something. And this is something that this poor widow also teaches us in the lesson. But something else that I wanted to point out about these verses in verses 43 and 44, again in Mark chapter 12, and that is the fact that Jesus commended the lady in the hearing of his disciples. So what she did caught Jesus's attention so much. He was so impressed that he called his followers over to him and began to commend this lady. He says that this poor widow has put in more, more proportionately than all those who have given to the treasury. In other words, he says she put in more than all of them. In other words, all of them put together. So Jesus 
expressed his approval of her. He commended her. He praised this poor widow. And the question I have tonight is, would Jesus commend us? Would he express his approval of us today for something that we're doing? Some will of his that he has for us to do. Are we walking in that will? Something he told us to do, are we doing that? The way we carry ourselves, the way we are reacting to certain situations, the way we're treating our neighbor, the way we're treating our spouse and our children and co-workers, our brothers and sisters in Christ, even the way we give. Would Jesus commend us today for what we're doing? And there were other instances, of course, where Jesus commended people. The scriptures tell us that Jesus even commended certain, certain people for their faith. He commended, for example, a centurion because of his faith. Because the centurion, in the example I'm using, he had a servant who was ill. And he came to Jesus. He sent to Jesus for some help. My servant is ill. We need you to heal my servant. And Jesus, of course, was about to go and do it in person. But the centurion told him, no. He understood that Jesus had the authority to just speak the word and his servant would be healed. And at that, Jesus commended that centurion for his faith. And I've never seen faith like this, not even in Israel. This centurion was a Gentile. He was a non-Jew. And so like he commended that centurion for his faith and commended the poor widow who gave everything that she had. Would Jesus commend us for something that we're doing in his name today? Now, if you haven't noticed, before Jesus began to observe the poor widow whom he commended to his disciples, what he did was put himself in position to view everything. It's the first thing he did because in verse 41, it says, now Jesus sat opposite to the treasury. He sat across from the treasury, from the place that they were giving in the court of the women in the temple. And so he purposely positioned himself to where he can see everything. Now, I just want to share with you tonight that even now God is in position to see everything, that God is in position to see all. And one reason he's in position to see everything is because he is omnipresent. It means that he's present everywhere. Psalm Chapter 33, verse 13 tells us that the Lord looks from heaven and it says that he sees all the sons of men. So God is positioned in such a way where he can see all humans. Proverbs 15 and 3 says that the eyes of the Lord are in every place keeping watch on the evil and the good. So not only does he see the the bad, But of course, he sees the good that people are doing, just like with that centurion who had faith, just like Job, who was walking uprightly, just like this widow who gave everything that she had. 
He sees the good. He sees the evil. So maybe there's somebody tonight who's been complaining because there's some evil that has been done towards you. There's some evil that is being that is being done right now, not just has been in the past. But right now, maybe that evil is being done to you. Maybe there's some unfairness right now going on in your family or even in the workplace or in the place where you're receiving your education. Maybe you're perceiving that there is some unfairness, there's some evil being done, not just to you, but to your family. Maybe you're perceiving that, yes, in this day and time, there's some evils that are being done against Christians. There's some evil things being spoken against believers of Jesus Christ. And you're wondering right now, is God seeing this? Where is God? What is God doing? But the scriptures tell us here in Proverbs 15, 3, that that God keeps watch over both the evil and the good. His eyes, once again, are in every place. The omnipresent God, the ever-present God, sees all because he is everywhere. He can be everywhere all at the same time. But unfortunately, not everyone senses his presence. Psalm 139, verses 7 through 10. The psalmist asks the question, where can I go from your spirit? That is your Holy Spirit. Of course, he's speaking to the Lord. Or where can I flee or run from your presence? If I ascend or go up to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. And hell, by the way, in this instance, comes from the, the Hebrew word Sheol. It's the place of the dead, the, the abode or the realm of the dead. So you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost or farthest parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Now I found some interesting ways to, to translate or to word verse 9 from a couple different versions, the CSB and the HCSB in regard to him taking the wings of the morning and dwelling in the uttermost parts of the sea. The CSB and the HCSB states, if I live at the eastern horizon or settle at the western limits. So no matter if I go east or west, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Cannot get away from the Lord. We can't get away from his sight. And yes, for the believer, when you read verse 10 of Psalm 139, that is encouraging because even there, your hand shall lead me and your right hand, his hand of strength shall hold me. I also like what it says in Jeremiah chapter 23, verses 23 and 24. He says, am I a God near at hand? In other words, he's asking, am I a God near at or only near at hand? Says the Lord. 
and not also afar off. So not only is he a God who is near, he is also a God who is far off. And he can do that. He can dwell in heaven and still be present with us in this building and in our homes and still indwell us by the Holy Spirit because he is God. He is, once again, omnipresent. But then verse 24, and I'm sure some of you read it ahead of time as I had it on the, on the wall there. It says, can anyone hide himself in secret places? So I shall not see him, says the Lord. Do I not feel heaven and earth, says the Lord? The omnipresent God is present everywhere at the same time. But only some of us experience his presence. What we call experiential So we experience his presence, those of, those, those of us who sense that he's near. And so, yes, there's sometimes you, you just like, wow. You know, I could really feel the Lord. The Lord is in this place. It's not that he wasn't there from the get go. But at certain times. You experience what we call. That manifest presence when you begin to see God at work right there in your particular time and space. And so you begin to experience him at that time. Not that he wasn't always there. Word of God says that he'll never leave us nor forsake us even when you don't feel like he's there even when you go through those dry seasons and I'm sure as saints you have been through those dry seasons even if you were not in sin like Lord I've been reading the scriptures I've been praying I've been attending various services been doing your will but I feel a little dry spiritually at this time but it doesn't mean he hasn't gone anywhere never leave you nor forsake you And so you don't want to base your relationship with God based on feelings. The Lord is there. He's here right now. Now as the omnipresent God, he sees all. As the omnipresent God, God sees you. He is in a position to see you. Just like, it, just like Jesus was in position to see how people gave. And we just read a few scriptures that lets us know that God is in position to see all of us. He sees us even when we sneak under the radar of others. When you go somewhere and nobody notices you and you feel like the invisible man, you feel like the invisible woman. Everybody's walking by you. Nobody's saying hi or shaking your hand. Nobody's in a conversation with you, but they're in conversation with everybody else. And so you're under the radar at that moment. But guess what? God sees you. The omnipresent God sees all. But not only does he see us, just like he saw that, that poor widow But he also sees our circumstances. Those circumstances that we go through do not go unnoticed by God. 
He is not blind to our situations. He's not blind to our struggles. He's not blind to whatever oppressiveness we're going through. He sees our circumstances. He saw that this lady was also, number one, poor. That's her circumstance. And he also saw that she was a widow. That's something else about her circumstance. So this woman is lonely. Her husband died, and we don't know how long. We don't know how old she is. But no doubt, she probably misses her husband's. Alone. We don't know if she has any family. As it says that she's poor. As a matter of fact, in our previous lesson, Jesus got on the scribes. He told the people and his disciples to beware of the scribes because one of the things that they did was devour widows' houses. They took advantage of the widows, they took advantage or cheated them out of their possessions and their finances. So beware of the scribes. Jesus told the people back in in Mark 12 and 40. And could it be that this poor widow experienced being cheated by one of these religious leaders? We don't know. But it's possible. But if that's something that she had gone through, guess what? Jesus knew. God knew. Her circumstance didn't fly under his radar. He knew that she was struggling, poor, and maybe have spent some years grieving the death of her husband. But also, and this is obvious to us, as we know all this, that we also know that this omnipresent God sees our actions. Just like he saw what the poor widow gave. Just like he saw when all of those rich people were giving in that court of the women. They were given to the treasury. So he sees the person. He sees the circumstances. He sees the actions of people. But, but not only does he watch who and what. But it all, he also watches how. Because notice in, in verse 41 it says. Now Jesus sat opposite to the treasury. And notice. It said how he saw how the people put money into the treasury. Didn't say what, even though he saw what they put in there. His focus was on how the people were putting into the treasury. So he's not just watching who and what, but how. And here is the place in the study where we get to the motives. We get to the why, in other words. We get to the why of a person giving. We get to the why of a person's actions, those inner motives that come from the heart of an individual. And so, yes, God even sees not just what goes on on the outside, but he sees within the person. He sees their motives. Why do people do what they do? Why did this woman give the way that she gave? And so not only are we dealing with the omnipresent God, we are dealing with an omniscient God, an all-knowing God who's just not present everywhere and obviously sees everything, 
because of that, but also because he's all-knowing, omniscient, and could even see what's in people's hearts. What's people thinking? He knows the future, of course, which is future for us. He saw the manner in which this widow gave. And this widow, by the way, wasn't giving to be seen, unlike some of the religious people. She wasn't given for that reason. Matter of fact, Jesus spoke about that in Matthew 6, verses 1 through 4. He says to take heed that you do not do your charitable or good deeds before men to be seen by them. This poor widow wasn't doing it because of that. The omniscient God knew that. He saw right in her heart. He saw the motives. And he says, otherwise, if you do that, if you do it to be seen by men, you have no reward from your father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, when you give to the poor, for example, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may have glory or praise from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. So if a person does something for attention, whether it's giving something or uh, whether it's doing some type of good work, if they're doing it to be seen by men, they cannot expect a reward from God because they have already received their reward. And what is their reward? That attention, that pat on the back that they got from men, from other people. That's their reward. And it just kind of makes me feel uncomfortable. You know, sometimes when I go to other churches, and I haven't been to other churches in a while, but I've been to other churches where there's somebody up there and they're talking about who got a, you know, a $50 seed and who got a $100 seed and you got all these people standing up. And I'm glad they're excited to give, but that's something that's private. That's between you and the Lord. You pray about what to give and The scriptures tell us, as we're going to read here, you don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And so that makes me feel uncomfortable. And it's sad to see that some leaders will put people in that position. Now these people are getting up, you know, flagging their money around. Maybe have somebody come to them. Well, that was a great thing you did. You gave that $200. They already received their reward. They received it from men. In Matthew 6, verse 3, it says, But when you do a charitable deed or give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed or giving may be in secret, may be private, and your father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. And so this widow gave. She gave not to be seen by people. Jesus knew her motive. But also the way she gave reveals her trust, her her gratitude. It revealed her love and her devotion, her dedication, in other words, to the Lord. Because she loves the Lord, because she was dedicated to the Lord. She did what she did. And what's our motive for doing what we do for the Lord? Now, this, in these days, there are some people who threw in their whole lives into serving Jesus, just like the poor widow did with the mites. It says in verse 42 that, that the widow came, the poor widow came, and she threw in two mites. 
was her whole livelihood. Many of us, many of you in this building, some of you who are watching have, have thrown in your lives, your whole lives into serving Jesus as well. And there are some people who give a little of themselves to the Lord. There are some people who give the Lord whatever's left over, whatever time they have left over to him. He's not at the top of their list. But we want to ask ourselves tonight, are we all in with God? Have we thrown ourselves all in to worshiping and to serving the Lord? And we should do that because he's the one who created us. He's the one who allowed us to gain wealth if, if you're wealthy. He's the one who gave us health. He's the one who gave us abilities and spiritual gifts to be used on this side of eternity. If you're a believer, it's all that we have, our gifts, the talents, abilities, our health. It all belongs to him. The very bodies belong to him. And so whatever we give to the Lord in our service to him, we are doing actually what this poor widow is doing. It says that she gave out of her poverty. And so as we give ourselves to the Lord in service to him, we are truly giving out of our poverty because the scriptures tell us that we are spiritually bankrupt. Well, first of all, we can't save ourselves. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so that's why we needed Jesus to die on the cross for our sins, to take our place. Never did anything wrong. Perfect, the perfect sacrifice. So whatever we do for him, we we do out of our poverty because whatever we give to him is not our own. It all belongs to him anyway. But we should all be all in with God in our with our lives and in our service to him because Jesus went all in for us. He went all in for us. Second Corinthians eight and nine says, for, you know, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes, he became poor. That you through his poverty might become rich. And we're talking about spiritually, spiritually rich. Talking about rich with salvation and becoming heirs and joint heirs with Christ. We're rule and reign with him, things like that. All the spiritual blessings that we have it's because of Christ, though he was rich. Remember, he was in glory. But he thought it not robbery to be equal with God. And he became a man. What does that mean? He thought it not robbery in Philippians 2 to be equal with God. It means that he didn't think that being equal with God the Father and remaining in glory was something to be clinged to. In other words, he humbled himself, became a man, became a servant. He came not to serve, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many, as it says in Matthew chapter 20. 
For our sakes, he became poor that, that we through his poverty might become rich. And so Jesus went all in for us and we should do the same for him. As the worship team takes the stage tonight. One thing I want to remind you of is that God is watching who is on the sidelines. Who's on the sidelines, so to speak, in the faith. Maybe you're saved, but you're not in the game. You're not serving. You're not witnessing. So God is watching that. God is watching who's on the fence. Who's neither in nor out with Jesus. And God is watching who's giving less than 100% of themselves. He doesn't want some of you. He wants all of you. Doesn't want 99% of you. He wants all of you. He created you. He purchased us with his blood. And he's also watching who is giving Of course, all of themselves to him. Now, according to one source, the heavy silver coins that were contributed by the wealthy would have made quite a noise when they were deposited in those 13 receptacles for the money. And as the rich... And we're going somewhere with this as as the rich would drop those coins in those 13 receptacles. It would cause um, audible attention. To whoever was giving because it would make this great noise that as they as the rich brought all this money and put it in. But once again, the widow's coins. It didn't make much noise. And by her presence, her presence didn't make much noise. Her presence didn't stand out. But remember that Jesus noticed her. Jesus saw through her. Just like Jesus has noticed you and he sees through you as well, sees through me. And he knew that she was all in with God. But unfortunately today, there's people who are all in with other things in the world. There's some people who are all in with politics versus God. There's some people who are all in with sin or with their wicked lifestyles than with God. There's some people who are all in in the entertainment industry, but not all in with God. There are some people who are all in with their careers, but they're not all in with God. And there's some people who are all in in their relationships on earth, but they're not all in in their relationship with the Lord. And he sees that. He's watching. And like I said, the fact that he's watching it makes some of us feel comfortable, some of us fearful, but some of us, it brings comfort. Father, we thank you that that you look after us. Help us, Lord, to, 
live the way you want us to live. Not for man. Not to get attention from man, but because we love you. And yes, we know that you are watching us. And we just thank you, Lord, for including this story about the, the poor widow. Someone who's not even named. But Lord, wherever your word is being taught through the Gospels, this poor widow is mentioned. Because we can learn something from her. We can learn something from the fact that, that Jesus, that, that you, that you watch us. You watch the good and the bad. And we pray that you help us, Lord, if we're struggling with doing more bad than what you'll have us to do. We pray that you help us to overcome that. And Lord, we do thank you for Jesus' sacrifice on that cross on Calvary. So tonight we do celebrate communion. We remember that body that was beaten for us, that body that was bloodied for us. We remember that holy blood that was shed, that blood that washed all my sins away. We remember and Lord, as we partake, we, we partake in remembrance of you. We partake in remembrance of Jesus' sacrifice. And so, Lord, I pray that you would reveal anything to us if there's any sin in our lives, that you bring it to our attention, that we may confess it and repent. So we won't take communion in an unworthy manner. Help us, Lord, to be sensitive to your spirit at this time. Help us, Lord, to partake of communion with reverence, with gratitude, and just looking forward as well to Jesus' return for the church. And so as we partake of communion, yes, we do do it with a heart of gratitude. We do it with a heart of remembrance. As we partake, we proclaim the Lord's death. We preach that sermon. It's a constant reminder that Jesus died for us. And so for Christians, this is, this is something we do in remembrance of Christ and that sacrifice that he, that he made on that cross. Thank you for, for coming out. Thank you for your prayers. And I just want to pray over you for this upcoming week. So, Father God, I thank you for my brothers and sisters in Christ who come out. I pray that you bless them. I pray that you use them in a mighty way this week. I pray, Lord, that you would just open up doors of ministry and witnessing to them. I pray for those who need encouragement, that you would encourage them, O oh God. I pray for those who are grieving, that you would comfort them. I pray for those who are confused, that you give them clarity. I pray for those who've been asking for guidance, Lord, that you would direct them. And may you bless the remainder of their week, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks again for coming out. We love you. May the good Lord bless you. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer, 
or want more information about our church and how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.